Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 41, The Deadly Years. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Mission Log is the show where we pick apart every episode of Star Trek to search for the morals, messages, and meanings. And I'm Ken Ray. Uh, Ken, I don't want to make this uncomfortable for you, but you already introduced yourself. Huh? I'm well aware of that, Joe. Okay, uh... If you'd like to reach us, you can catch us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter at the handle Mission Log Pod, or you can call us at 323-522-5641. That's 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com, and you can check out our homepage, missionlogpodcast.com. Remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And we should also tell people, Jack, that they can reach us on... um uh, Facebook, and uh, I forget the rest. Ken Ray, co-host, uh, send that off. Uh, what episode are we doing today, John? <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you asked, Ken. And uh, today's episode is the Deadly Years, where uh, the crew of the Enterprise find themselves facing uh, uh, an interesting foe. It is their own age and mortality. Good. I I <laughs> okay. think I may have seen that once or twice. Right. Hard right. to remember. Okay. Well, I tell you what, before we get into the story recap, how about I drop some trivia on you? Might as well. Okay, I got a little <laughs> bit for you. Um, you may have recognized uh, that when our landing party beams down in the uh, prologue to the show, yes, that is Zephram Cochran's home from Metamorphosis. I pointed that out when we reviewed Metamorphosis, and I thought that was a pretty cool-looking little home, and apparently so did the production designer because they just moved it right in for the science station at Gamma Hydra 4. Kind of mm-hmm. cool. Um, now, in this episode, uh, our crew ages prematurely, and um, it's worth pointing out that uh, William Shatner had asked to not be made up as old as some of the other people in the crew. So I don't know if this is purely a vanity thing, but that was a request. And um, it, it, he still had to go through a very long and arduous uh, makeup process. And he, he kind of famously took it out jokingly, but he takes it out on Bob Justman in the blooper reel. Uh, I haven't mentioned the blooper reel uh, here in our show because it, it draws from every season. Uh, but there is a bit where you have Shatner in old age makeup. I remember that very distinctly. And he's pointing at the camera and he's cursing Bob Justman. I always found that to be very entertaining. Forgive me. You really don't know if that was a vanity thing on Shatner's part? Okay. I, <laughs> I, I, I know. <laughs> I'm not saying. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, it was... Yeah, I, 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 there may have been another justification for it, but long story short, he just asked to be not made up quite as old um, as, well, you know, Bones and Spock and Scotty, who right. really, really takes a beating in this one. Um, actress Sarah Marshall um, 
not forgetting Sarah Marshall, but actress Sarah Marshall, please, Janet Wallace, Dr. Janet Wallace. Um, she has uh, an extensive career on stage and TV, but I wanted to point out some of the other guest stars in the episode. Um, Carolyn Nelson, who played Yeoman Atkins, um, who we, we see kind of famously the scene where she asked Kirk to sign off on the pad and then he re signs it because he forgot that he signed it. She's actually married to Joseph Sargent, who directed a whole bunch of Star Trek. So kind of a neat little Star Trek tie in there. And um, Beverly Washburn, who played Lieutenant Galway, uh, she was a child actor and her career starts way, way back. And uh, she continues to work until this day, which uh, is pretty cool. She's had a very long lived career in Hollywood. Um, and an interesting uh, script note here, the reverse aging for Kirk, we were actually supposed to see on camera and uh, we were supposed to see it as old Kirk is leaving sickbay and making his way to the bridge. Uh, but that whole thing was cut out and what we get instead is uh, uh, kind of a waist down <laughs> shot of Kirk's legs kicking in sickbay after he has taken the uh, the antidote, the serum, as it were. Can I can, so, can I ask a yeah. question? Yeah, yeah. Did those shots make you as uncomfortable as they made me? They didn't make me uncomfortable at all. Why? <laughs> just, really? Just Kirk kicking? <laughs> or is somebody some, is that some what you stand in legs right. kicking? All yeah. right. Never mind was... then. Sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess it's just me. Getting old can be tough, especially if you do it in 72 hours. Let's let John tell us more. Prologue. It's just another routine mission for the Enterprise crew because that's how it always starts out, right? This time we're stopping by to check on the scientists at Gamma Hydra 4. Chekhov pokes his head into one of the buildings and runs out screaming. I mean, seriously losing it because he just saw a dead old person. McCoy confirms that that person is old and dead, probably even died from being so old. Spock is curious, though, because no one stationed here is supposed to be older than 30. About this time, two of those youngster scientists show up, 29-year-old Robert and his 27-year-old wife Elaine. But wait, they could easily pass for 102. What's going on here? Act 1. On board the Enterprise, the young but old Robert is not faring too well at helping to explain what's going on. Kirk is frustrated, and he convenes with his crew in the conference room to explain the situation to a handful of passengers we have on board. An old flame, Dr. Janet Wallace, and... Oh, no. Yeah, uh, sorry, it looks like we have a Commodore on board again. This time, it's Commodore Stalker. But don't worry, Commodores are always pretty easygoing and won't really get in the way of Kirk's plans. We don't need to worry at all that Kirk wants to stick around to try to solve this mystery while Commodore Stalker just really wants to get to Starbase 10. On the bridge, Kirk gives the order to maintain their orbit. Spock can't seem to find anything wrong with the planet, but there is a comet he's looking into for anything unusual. Commodore, oh no, yeah, he, I, I'm sorry, here we go. Commodore Stalker voices his preference to get going. Remember, Starbase 10? Come on, everyone, we can do whatever we need to do over there. Kirk's not ready to leave, though, and he tells Sulu to maintain orbit, you know, like he just did a moment earlier. Hmm. 
One of the landing party, Lieutenant Galway, stops by sickbay to tell McCoy that she's worried that her hearing is suddenly declining. Like a good country doctor, McCoy says, that's really nothing to worry about. Kirk, in his quarters, calls Spock to let him know that the astronomy lab found a comet he should investigate. Spock is getting a little worried. Remember, Kirk, when you already talked about this not five minutes ago? Never mind, the captain will go to sickbay He's just in time to get the pronouncement from McCoy that the young scientist Robert has just died of extreme old age. Well, that's too bad. But on to more pressing matters, Kirk's shoulder hurts. So McCoy runs a few tests. Seems like the captain has arthritis, an old person's condition. Before he can mull over that diagnosis, though, in walks Scotty, looking like Scotty's great-grandfather. Act 2. Now we know. The landing party that was on the planet at the start are all infected with this rapid aging problem. Everyone that is, except for Chekhov, he who freaked out at the first sign of, ew, dead old people. McCoy estimates that they are aging about 30 years for every day. That doesn't give him a lot of time. McCoy is trying, but he's stumped. Even Spock says he's feeling the effects, though he's showing the symptoms a little more slowly. Lieutenant Galway is in the room, too, but her aging process has left her nearly deaf and aging much faster than the others. Kirk stops for a chat in the corridor with Dr. Wallace, and it gets, well, it gets a little weird. Janet's late husband was 26 years older than her, but she never really got over Kirk. Is she coming on to him now in his rapidly advancing years? Kirk goes back to the bridge where Commodore Stalker reminds, okay, let's say it all together, reminds him that they should be on their way to Starbase 10. Kirk calls for Yeoman Atkins so he can sign a fuel report, but she reminds him that he has already signed it. Awkward. More awkward? A few moments later, Spock has to wake Kirk in his captain's chair to bring him the news that the comet may have something to do with their affliction. Seems to be the kind of radiation it's emitting. Kirk is ready to leave, and he gives Sulu an order to increase orbit, but he already did that. The awkward just keeps piling up. Commodore Stalker catches Spock in the corridor to bring up a delicate topic. It's Kirk. You see, he's not acting like himself, and he's very erratic. He may not be fit for command. Stalker tries to convince Spock that it's time for him to step up to the big chair, but Spock doesn't want to. Stalker is ready to take this to a higher level if he has to. Time for a competency hearing. In sickbay, Chekhov is still being examined as the one guy who didn't come down with the aging syndrome. In walks Lieutenant Galway, now much older than the last time we saw her. She collapses dead. The aging process is caught up with her, and it's only a matter of time for the rest of those who were affected. Act 3. The competency hearing begins, and an ornery Captain Kirk is on the stand. Everyone's being very nice, and they're all terribly uncomfortable, even Spock, who is in his own way bristling at Commodore Stalker's plan. The evidence is overwhelming. When Kirk tries to defend himself, he takes it out on Stalker. This isn't going well. Kirk can't even remember the name of the planet they're orbiting. The hearing is over. Commodore Stalker is now in command. Time to beat a path to Starbase 10. If the day couldn't get any worse, seems to be a little more than tense between Kirk and Spock, as well as Janet cooling on Kirk. A little time has passed. Everyone is looking even older, but Kirk, McCoy, and Spock have met in sickbay to try to work out a solution. Chekhov is still the key. He wasn't affected, and perhaps it was because of the high adrenaline alongside his fear of, ew, 
dead old people. Time to do some science. We're going to need a montage. Back on the bridge, Commodore Stalker is piloting the Enterprise directly through the neutral zone to get to Starbase 10. I think we all know what happens when we try this. Countdown to an encounter with the Romulans. And as they open fire, Stalker has no idea what to do. Act 4. Feeling the attack, elderly Kirk is trying to escape sickbay to get back to the bridge. The others even have to restrain him. Spock has come up with a crude experimental cure, and Kirk insists that he'll take it. He'll die anyway, so he might as well be the guinea pig. Things on the bridge are not going so well either. Stalker is taking a pounding, and you can't exactly call up the Romulans and say, Hey, stop shooting, time out. At the last moment, a youthful Kirk bounds onto the bridge and takes command. He orders Uhura to send an encoded, wink, wink, message to Starfleet Command that they are going to use the Corbomite embedded in the ship to blow up everything in a wide radius, taking out the Romulans with them. The Romulans, of course, hear the message and back off. Kirk tells Sulu to step on the gas, and the Enterprise hightails it out of the neutral zone at warp 8. You left out my favorite part of this episode. What was your favorite part of the episode, Ken? Um, when old Spock starts singing about Bilbo Baggins. I gotta say, I think you're being completely unfair to Commodore Stalker in this episode. We're really? used to we're used to Commodores being jerks. He actually strikes me. I don't understand why he wants to get to Starbase whatever Starbase Ten. I guess it was. Yeah, Six, it was Starbase eight. Ten. I can't yeah. remember. And I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna do that bit again. But. We have to relinquish your command. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Give it to somebody, please. Take my. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he actually struck me as being very level headed this whole time. You had like you know, um, Ambassador Ferris was kind of a jerk, and uh, mm-hmm. Commodore Mendez was good like all the way through. Honestly, yeah. I feel like Commodore Stalker was good for as long as he could be. He didn't want to take control of the Enterprise. He didn't want to take command of the Enterprise. He wanted Spock to take command of the Enterprise. And he was sure. not in that big a hurry. He's like, you know, I got to get to Starbase 10. Kirk's like, yeah, well, we're going to stay here for a bit. And he's like, eh, okay, fine. It's not until it's not until um, uh, Kirk becomes doddering that um, that Stalker, you know, really gets insistent. And even then, he still goes by the book. I mean, he has enough power that he could have taken control of the ship. Yeah, he could. I mean, here's the thing about Stalker, though. I I I think that Stalker is he's a little more sensitive than the other top brass that we've seen so far. Mm-hmm. But but here's the thing. They're in a dangerous situation. They, they, this is an unknown. You know, they, they have no idea what caused this problem, which could potentially spread not only to everybody in the ship, but okay, we just park it over at Starbase 10 and then potentially spread this thing. McCoy says, we don't know if it's a virus. We don't know what it is. Um, I, I would think that is reason enough to stay put and Commodore Stalker get on the phone to Starbase 10 and say, hey, we've hit a little snag, so I'm not going to be there as planned. Um, I wouldn't even put the guy in a shuttlecraft because who knows? If this is the naked time, pretty soon everybody on board, including Commodore Stalker, and then everybody at Starbase 10 is running around shirtless wielding swords. Yeah, no. I you know I agree they should have stayed put. I think he was a little wrongheaded in that. We can get into mm-hmm. some other things about him in a bit, but I think you were just being a little unfair. Well, <laughs> I thought the whole time I thought he was like I thought he was a pretty level-headed guy, even when he was doing something that, uh, well, up up to a point. But we'll get to yeah. that. We'll get to that point in a bit. He was trying. He was trying. I, I'll give him that. And he was trying to be sensitive to them. I'll give him that too. Um, 
it's too bad that that whole reverse aging thing got cut because uh, what I mentioned in the trivia, because Shatner Kirk really does this like Clark Kent kind of like bounding out of the, you know, on the old George Reeves uh, uh, Superman series where he would just like bounce into a room. Yeah. And he kind of does that on the bridge, like here to save the day kind of thing. Um, It's, you know, it just seems very hurried when we get to the end of the episode. Um, But I will give uh, the writers and Shatner here uh, a, a thumbs up for, the relationship that they kind of start to explore with Janet. Uh, Because for all the time that we talk about Kirk as this Lothario and a different woman every week and that kind of thing, here we're presented with a character with whom there is a backstory. And it seems like they're discussing something along the in the realm of a realistic adult relationship. And it reminded me of Ariel Shaw from Court Martial. Really? Because um, I was left wondering how many blonde doctors uh, Spock has left. I mean, not Spock. Kirk has left Kirk. in his past. I mean, well, I wonder. Uh, I, I wondered that too. Yeah, you got <laughs> Jan Wallace. Like... You got Carol Marcus. Although I know, and we're not talking about you know, uh, here timelines are crossing all over the place. We're not talking yeah, about whatever yeah. happens in JJ track because I don't know what's happened yet, and you know that's years from now as far as this show is concerned. Anyway, but we right, do know right. from having lived the past thirty something years with uh, or more by the time anybody hears this right. um, with um, with Star Trek 2 that he's got a he's got a past with a blonde doctor well yeah and, and but, but all... not this blonde doctor <laughs> right right it's but, and they're the same all thing. real relationships you know they're, they're discussing like well you know they spent time together and they really had something and it might have led to marriage and well, all this so at the end of all of this, I mean, at the end of all of this, we may yeah. have to go back and say, were they real relationships or did Kirk just, you know, I don't want to say, you know, uh, girl in every port kind of thing. <laughs> right. But I mean, he's even, even in the first season with, uh, with uh, Yeoman Rand, I mean, his only real relationship mm-hmm. is with the Enterprise. And mm-hmm. so you can say, oh, if I had just done this, but I had my duty and please come on. He's always going let's, let's, let's keep it idling in orbit. Okay, Sulu, because any second now, I mean, I mean, you need to get out of here. <laughs> right, right. But that's, you know, that's, a, that's, again, a discussion for probably a year and a half to two years from now. I will say there's something, and I don't know if this goes in topics or not. Eh, this might mm-hmm. should go in topics, actually, now that I think about it. What's up with the assumption that old people suck in this episode? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's, there's, and it's not necessarily true of everyone. I mean, they're turning to Spock to a certain extent. They're turning to Bones to a certain extent. Nobody's turning to Scotty, but Scotty is allowed to go back to his post as long as he can have, you know, a nap before he does. <laughs> right. right. Um, but they do talk about, okay, so so we're aging at like 30 years a day, right? Yeah. And uh, But the problem is um, we're going to be senile long before three days from now. And that's the right. assumption that, you know, right. there's going to be, yep, just <laughs> going to be loopy. We're going to be sitting in the corner, you know, gumming our food and, and drooling on ourselves. I yeah. think they actually, I think I want to say that Spock actually said that they were going to be, you know, Mental vegetables. Vegetative, yeah. right. Yeah. So, I mean, what's up with that? I mean, yeah. you, you have world leaders. You've had world leaders even back then. I mean, granted, they are aging pretty quickly. But, I mean, LBJ was in his late 50s um, when he was president. Uh, Truman uh, had been in his 60s when he was president. Yeah. Um, I know that uh, Churchill was no spring chicken when he was prime minister. You right. know, I mean, it's, 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 there seems to be sort of a... It's not quite Logan's run because Kirk is 34, and we haven't right. had established in this episode how old Kirk is. 
Um, and of course, in Logan's Run, you know, when you hit 30, you were supposed to renew. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's this idea that, you know, 55, 60, <laughs> <laughs> you need to go lay down. But McCoy does make a point, though. He says that the, the mental uh, uh, degeneration will begin earlier. So, I mean, I guess if he's saying that as something unique to this situation, okay, you can kind of buy it. But, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I agree. It just seems like we're, we're lumping all of aging together and saying no matter what, <laughs> they're all going to be blubbering idiots before long. Now, I will say, um, and again, timeline, blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. so Pike basically gets turned into a Dalek, right? Yeah. N- not from age, but from, you know, the radiation accident. Picard, what is it that Picard had in uh, All Good Things? Oh, um, yeah. Something. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Something, but something, yeah. it's some degenerative, you know, uh, neurological something or other. Yeah. Which, again, we'll get to in about four years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Right. You know, and right. then uh, Kirk, of course. I mean, he's aging in a different way than anybody else. I wonder if there's some kind of like jinx or curse mm. on, <laughs> on being the captain of the Enterprise because well, it's a uh, high pressure job. Yeah. It is. And, and apparently, eventually, uh, it will cause you to lose your mind. What I think my favorite scene out of this whole episode is um, right after the hearing, right after they've taken away Kirk's command and uh, Kirk and Spock have this confrontation and um, Kirk's really hurt and he, he calls out Spock for betrayal and Spock saying, look, I'm just doing my job. And th- there's a moment there where Shatner is just right on the edge of overplaying it, but he doesn't. And I think it's really great. It, it really felt personal. So I just wanted to call that out as, as a favorite moment here. Um, I know that I'd mentioned the scene with Janet earlier, but uh, I just thought that was an interesting character. But this, I felt like, was a really powerful scene. See, I wasn't, well, I don't know if we should do this later or do it now, but I guess since you bring it up, uh, the only person that I was satisfied with as far as they're playing an old person was mm-hmm. um, was Spock. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because he's always a fairly reserved character. And so, I mean, he he gets to play it with subtlety and nuance. I mean, there's just a little bit of tired. Yeah. You know what I mean? But a yeah, little yeah. bit of tired on Spock goes a long way because he's always so reserved that when that when 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 Nimoy pulls back just a tiny bit in his yeah. performance, um it I mean it it actually telegraphs a whole lot more. D Kelly, I mean you could you could see his old age <laughs> performance from space. I mean, he was <laughs> right. overacting in a very big way. Right. Um, and also, apparently, like, <laughs> I guess, like, as soon as anybody would leave, he maybe would go back to start watching, you know, episodes of Andy Griffith or the Big Valley or something where somebody, yep. you know, spoke with some kind of a southern accent. Because yeah, yeah. as he ages, um, you know, he, he does the whole old country doctor thing and picks up a southern accent, which you yeah, don't or if, hear. Or if he has a uh, Georgia Mint julep, he'll uh, slip into the maybe, southern accent again. Yeah, maybe that is, in fact, what's happening the whole time. Maybe it's a character thing for McCoy. It's just like he's he's fighting constantly internally. Maybe it's be so jittery. Just hold back that southern accent <laughs> all say, the time. I was going <laughs> to say, know? is that like is that like the two things he does are like you know be a doctor and like suppress yeah <laughs> his southern <laughs> accent the whole. Well, I mean, you're from Alabama. I'm from Tennessee. We both struggle with that every day of our lives. Every waking second. I can barely get the words out right now. <laughs> me too, y'all. Me too. Yeah. Um, hey, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, you first. I think we're going to do the same thing. I think we're gonna, yep. we'll, we'll say two words at the count of three. Ready? 
Yep. One, two, three. Corbamite maneuver. maneuver. Yeah, well, we didn't quite think, hit it. But yes, you're right. Yes. I think, I think we're done with it. I, well. I think you can't use it anymore. It made me miss it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go back and check on uh, Blaylock and um, whoever yeah. it was that we, you know, sent off with him. Yeah. It was great. That was, a, that was, a, it was actually a nice little callback. I like the fact. Now, Chekhov shouldn't have known what they were talking about. Sulu gets this, like, knowing look on his face. Like, yeah, and yeah, they both glance and yeah, smile at each other. We're doing the Corbomite maneuver, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah, Chekhov shouldn't have known what they were talking about. Yeah, so it was well known enough that a guy who was ostensibly not on board at the time knows about it, but it's not well known enough that our greatest enemy, the Romulans, don't know about it. I love to, I mean, our stock with the Romulans is about to go way up. Right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh, we backed away because they said they had this giant weapon. They turned around and ran. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Seriously, we should move the neutral zone about 500, you know, whatever big quantity of motion that way. Because guess what Starfleet's going to (laughs) do? They're going to go, yikes, and turn, you know, and um, and run at warp eight. This episode reminds me of that movie. What was it called? Oh yes, Star Trek's 1 through 6. Mostly 5 and 6. I mentioned earlier the relationship that we touch upon with Kirk and Janet, but then we don't really go anywhere with it. Um, I, I thought that that would be something that they'd explore a little more, maybe in some other draft of the story somewhere. Um, Because she's the one who comes on to him and he's really put off by this. uh, And he, he chalks it up to his age, which I thought was really interesting. Um, But I will say that the whole thing was way less creepy than Miri. We actually had two adults (laughs) with an age difference. And there was an opportunity to address the age difference. The one thing is, I don't think it was very well thought out on her part. I mean, mm-hmm. she's got a history with Kirk. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. even though he's only 34 when she gets there and she apparently goes for 54 and above. Right. Um, yeah, she, she's, I mean, she's still kind of attracted to him. She still gets a little of the, uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I remember yeah. that. That was kind of cool. But then when he starts aging, then she's like really turned on because apparently she, I don't want to say she has daddy issues. <laughs> I, I don't she know. She likes older men. She likes older men. And there's nothing yeah, wrong yeah. with that. You know, that that's fine. Uh, what she's not really thinking about, though, is tomorrow he's going to be a really older man. Oh, well, right. Right. Like tomorrow. Not yeah. like not like a one day he's going to be. Well, I mean, one day he is going to be. That one day is tomorrow. Yeah, and that, I, and he was actually, I mean, he was a mean old man in this episode. He's a mean old man. Like he accuses he Spock of like always wanting to take control of the Enterprise. And what does he say yeah. to a, what does he say to Jan? Are you offering me love or a parting gift? I know, I know. Or a going yeah, away present or whatever it was. It yeah, was kind of like, yeah. I, yeah, he's he's a he's a mean old man. But there was an opportunity there with the script. I thought that uh, somebody could have redeemed that, and and uh, maybe it would have been too cheesy if it was said instead of just implied. Of hey, look, I you know I fell in love with you, the the person, not you, uh, a number. Uh, of an age or you know 
certain abilities or your looks or whatever. So even if you only live another day, I want to spend that time. You know, there, there could have been something there to have redeemed that. And I just felt like we introduced it and then dropped it. And it, it felt worse because we introduced it and you went, oh, wait, there's a backstory here. There, there's something that these two characters shared that we could explore. And then they just didn't. And I, and I felt like that was the, the problem uh, with that. One. That's, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you would expect, I think, from a later um, incarnation of Star Trek. I mean, go sure. back, go back again to where we are. It's sixty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are going to be people yeah. who are going to be ooked out by that. First of all, and second, this is not this is not necessarily that kind of show. I mean, we get some yeah, we yeah, get yeah. some real depth out of some episodes of Star Trek, but we don't get a whole lot of. I mean, like you said, uh, Kirk has the reputation of being a Lothario. I mean, he really isn't if you go back and watch it. Right, as right. we've been doing. But I mean, that that's kind of the reputation. Certainly, they're not going to do like. Um, I don't know, Doctors in Love or whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't know what the name of any show like that would be, but they're not going to, it's not going to be a, a hard examination of, of, of love and loss yeah. in the 23rd yeah. century. Well, the, the thing in this episode that really bothered me slash concerned me mm-hmm. is that, so we have the problem and then the problem is solved. Everybody is young again, but what do they really learn? And it's not – I'm not talking about us. I'm not talking about Ken and John analyzing an episode. What did we get out of it? I'm talking about the characters in the show because it seems like the only thing they got out of it is, uh, boy, it is way better to be young than to be old. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, and thank goodness I won't be old for a lot longer. Kirk says that at the end of the episode and he's kind of kind of rubbing his back, making sure all the pieces are there where they belong. And then he's like, well, that will be a long time coming before I'm old. Yep. So I'm going to be the captain of the Enterprise again. And we we have this kind of interesting plot line uh, to, to hear about Kirk's declining abilities and his friends having to turn on him. Yeah, kind of like uh, a family taking away the car keys from an elderly relative. Mm-hmm. And he faces the indignity of this hearing about his abilities. It's all really kind of tragic stuff had it been treated any differently, you know, under a different context, like you said, maybe a later period Star Trek. But by the end of it, he's able to save the day because he's young again. And I kept thinking to myself, well, would old Kirk have thought of reusing the Corvamite maneuver? Because God knows this old Kirk keeps rehashing old material and spouting off the same things over and over again anyway. <laughs> so why wouldn't he also remember the Corbomite maneuver? And if old Kirk had suggested it, would anybody else on the ship have taken him seriously? Because they're kind of ready to just write him off. And even if he is old Kirk, even if it's before, if it's before he gets the serum and he radios up from sickbay, hey, try the Corbomite maneuver. <laughs> you know? Right. There's at least a couple of people on the bridge who know what it is. I, are they just going to go, oh, he's, he's out of his mind? Or would they say, well, wait a minute. No, he's still Captain Kirk. Even if he's old, he's still Captain Kirk, and he still probably has a, a better idea of what to do than Commodore Stalker does. I know we addressed this a little bit um, earlier with, you know, LBJ is a certain age, and, and Churchill was a certain age, and Truman was a certain age. Mm-hmm. We call Star Trek out, ooh, at least every other week for its sexism. Sure. Is it ageist? In this episode, is it ageism or is it something that's happening specifically to Kirk? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's the tough question there. I, I do feel like it's 
I, I kind of feel like it's ageist overall because again that that seems to be the sole problem here. Now, to their credit, McCoy and Spock are better off. Uh, mm-hmm. Spock's better off than any of them. Um, but you just constantly show that these people can't do their jobs. It's worse with Kirk because he can't even be trusted to do his job. And it, I, I just feel like everybody's ready to write him off it, <laughs> immediately. I don't know if everybody's willing to write him off immediately because he does repeat himself. Now, the stuff that he's repeating didn't strike me as that, you know, weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah maintain standard orbit. Eh, I, I'd say that twice. <laughs> right. You know, it's like Johnny really two times. I'm going to go get the papers, get the papers. Hey, maintain standard orbit, standard orbit. All right. You know, I mean, <laughs> that doesn't strike me as that as being that weird. Now, when he wants to sign things twice or when he wants to take them to 40,000 um, perigee instead of 20,000 perigee because he forgot about right. the first 20,000. Okay, right. well, then you do kind of start to worry a little bit, you know, and telling Spock to, you know, really check into the comet. Yeah. He didn't do anything that was dangerous at that point, but he does start exhibiting early on uh, signs of some sort of mental uh, impairment, if not incapacity. That strikes me as being separate from the whole age thing. I don't know. I'm, I, I had a little trouble. My immediate thought was exactly what you're saying. It sucks to be old. Yeah. It seemed to be what the message was uh, coming from Star Trek. But I don't – it really – I mean, it, it sucks to be Kirk and be old. It, it seems to be uh, – seems to actually be kind of the message. There was a phrase that came to mind um, as I was rewatching this episode, and mm-hmm. it has to do with Spock and, and again, uh, his adherence to the org chart. As he does. Yep. Now, before we get into that, I'd like to uh, address an email that we got from Bill after a Journey to Babel a couple of weeks ago. Give me a minute. I'll read most of it. Sure. Uh, Bill says, you spent a fair amount of time criticizing Spock's actions and his apparent devotion to the org chart. Uh, this isn't quite the case. Starfleet is on some level a mi- military organization. A military organization operates by strictly observing the chain of command. To violate the chain of command is a court-martial offense, and historically, it has resulted in the execution of whomever violated it. Uh, Starfleet isn't quite like that, obviously. However, Spock's observance of the chain of command is entirely understandable in that context, when Kirk is incapacitated, command of the Enterprise fell to Spock. He could not delegate it. If he did, he'd have drawn a court-martial and absolutely being drummed out of Starfleet. The chain of command, as Spock stated, does not acknowledge personal privilege nor circumstances. Spock was in command of the Enterprise, and to turn it over to a subordinate, particularly under the circumstances, would have been a gross dereliction of duty. Indeed, Spock mentions this to Amanda, and he has, and, uh, he has what she thinks uh, Sarek would say if, if uh, he did as she wanted. In short, it wasn't just an observation of the org chart. It was an observation of centuries of military tradition and law that states that Spock would have been abandoning his post no more or no less. And he goes on to say that, you know, there's 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 precedent for that in, in more recent um, military uh, actions, including World War II, which a lot of people watching Star Trek would have been a part of, and uh, mm-hmm. Korea and Vietnam and, you know, things like that. So, again, yeah. he says um, it wasn't a matter of trust. It was a matter of duty. They're interesting points, and, and I'm really glad that Bill wrote in. Um, yeah. What I will say, though, everybody else in Star Trek, Kirk especially, plays fast and loose with the rules. <laughs> Spock doesn't. And his mm-hmm. adherence to the rules, even, even above logic, he adheres to the rules, nearly gets them killed and the doomsday machine, and nearly leads to war, assuming that war was eventually averted in Journey to Babel. It nearly leads to war, and that if he had not saved Sarek... Uh, Sarek's vote would have been lost, and the Orion's treachery uh, might have prevailed, and then, you know, peace loses. Mm -hmm. So there's all of that address. And the reason I address all of that 
is to get to the phrase that hit me while watching this episode. The perfect is the enemy of the good, is what it made me think of. Hmm. Spock knows that he is not 100% at this point. And if he's not 100%, he's zero. He should be smart enough to know that Spock at 80% is better than Commodore Stalker at 100%. Spock at 50% is probably better than Commodore Stalker at 100%, even despite yeah. his, you know, his problems with command in the past, uh, Witness Galileo 7. Um, there is an unwillingness to take risk in Spock if everything is not pin straight and perfect. If it's not perfect, yeah. Spock cannot pursue it unless he's being ordered to do so by somebody else with more braids on his sleeve. Now, he was not able to do that when Kirk commanded from sickbay, you go back and take control of the Enterprise, you know, because Kirk's loopy at that point. So Spock can't listen to him anymore. But again, right. his adherence to the rules, his adherence to the org chart yeah. uh, sort of stymies me. And it, well, it actually, it actually, it, which is why I came back to the whole "the perfect is the enemy of the good" thing. He's more than good enough to command the Enterprise, but he's not as good as he can be. There's no such thing as good enough, as far as he's concerned. There's perfect, or there's stuff that needs to be, you know, sitting someplace else. Right. Well, and that's the episodes that you mentioned there. So, Journey to Babel, Doomsday Machine. Um, yeah, the, those stuck out to me as well because in all of those instances, you keep thinking, "Oh man, Kirk would have figured out a way around this. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk would have would have done the right thing, and and it would have been morally acceptable, and would have also been tactically the the right way to do this." And yeah, I'm not sure what it is about Spock. I, I think you probably hit it right here about his delineation between perfect and not perfect or or unable that there is a sort of internal thing of the unwillingness you know i, I kind of joked about it um in journey to babel where i said there was this uh, this like passive aggressive <laughs> you know self-serving thing about deciding when he was going to help Sarek or not um and i kept thinking man it, it, if the tables had been turned and it was Kirk who needed to do that, there would have been an alternative. Um, here we are jumping out of the timeline again. Spock saying there are always alternatives. Not in this Spock. <laughs> you know, uh, Spock, <laughs> Spock has got a little bit of growing to do. And, uh, but I, I think this is the beauty of it is that you have diametrically opposed characters like Kirk and like Spock and they both learn a little something out of each other. It's just taking Spock a little while to learn this out of Kirk. Kirk is able to bend rules when it is right to bend those rules. Like you said, everybody ignores that org chart, or in Kirk's case, ignoring the prime directive when it's convenient, but also when he believes it is morally right to do so. You know, an enterprise under Spock's command at this point in Spock's career would be very different <laughs> and, and maybe not always have the happy ending that we have had with Kirk. Decades after the deadly years, we're left to wonder, is this still a vibrant episode with a lot to offer, or one we should just make sure is resting comfortably and not hurting itself? Well, the pain in my joints tells me either the uh, 
weather's about to change, or it's about time to wrap up this episode of Mission Log. <laughs> Uh, this is the part where we address messages, morals, and meanings and ask ourselves whether this show stands the test of time. Um, and, you know, sometimes uh, does it inform uh, Star Trek going forward? Does it inform, like, what we know? Like, okay, are we watching out for certain things now? Or are we not watching out for certain things now? Mm. I know there was, uh, maybe this should have been, you know, the last segment or even the segment before, but I know during the break, actually, an interesting topic came up, John. Um, yes. What does... What does Kirk being Captain Cranky Pants in this episode, <laughs> what does it mean for Kirk going forward? I mean, is this what the crew has to look forward to if they serve under him for 20 years? Yeah, right. Uh, so the question is, you know, does, does Kirk have this flaw or, or will he experience this problem as he gets older that he will become more cantankerous, more rigid and unable to to give where he needs to give. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the first thing that popped to mind is, um, you know, we, yeah, we keep talking about the timeline and how we don't want to jump out of the timeline, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> so I, I don't want to give a, uh, I, I don't want to give a big chunk of it, but you think about the Kirk who is unwilling to see Klingons as potential allies. Mm-hmm. You know, he is the only one who doesn't see that they have to treat this as uh, as an errand of mercy <laughs> to lift <laughs> to lift a word uh, to lift a phrase from Star Trek? Um, he's the one who has to be convinced, and he's the one who has to have uh, a bigger moment of self discovery than anybody else. So, uh, you know, whether or not he will go senile if this particular situation, this particular disease or syndrome portends what will actually come in their lives well yeah kirk may have a problem then we have to figure out well, what does kirk do does he gracefully step down uh, as maybe he should do or does he fight tooth and nail and then uh, again the indignity of facing a trial and this kind of scrutiny from the crew who up until now had all respected and liked and followed him without question well, um, you know what actually mm-hmm. happens, right? What's that? He gets promoted up to Commodore. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> and then he gets yeah. to go like, to every ship and go, ah, you know what we should do? And maybe yeah. he ends up taking over, maybe he doesn't. Here, I mean, right. here's the one thing that I will say. It is interesting to think about that, but there, there are uh, two or three things working against us. First of all, while we, you know, pretend like we don't step out of the timeline, but we actually do at least twice a week. Yeah, well, I, but here's the <laughs> thing. We, 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 don't, we don't do it in terms of, like, details of, of plot and character. We're, we're not trying to drag together plot points. What we're trying True. to do is just say, like, here's a character thing that yeah. occurs. Okay, but you know? we're going to have yeah. to on this one. We know yeah, yeah. that Kirk doesn't go insane. Yeah. We know that Kirk does not turn into this guy. Uh, the other thing that's working against us in this, I mean, it says in the beginning of uh, Star Trek, it's five-year mission, right? The, Enter- mm-hmm. the, the Enterprise's five-year mission. I mean, in their wildest dreams, there is no way, and we know this from interviews, we know this from, 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 um, from, from things that we've read. Nobody involved in Star Trek thought that we were still going to be sitting here talking about this today. It was right. a TV show. It was a TV right. show with cross your fingers, maybe five years in it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So we were never going to actually have to worry about, oh, do you, so does Kirk go insane? Does Kirk not go insane? Please, we're going to be talking about some other TV show 10 years from now, let alone 50. Mm-hmm. So it is, I mean, it is kind of interesting. And um, being episodic television in 1968, I mean, this is not Mad Men. 
This is not Twin Peaks. Nothing that happened last week is going to affect anything that's going to happen next week. Right. So, I mean, one time, Kurt got old and went insane. That has nothing to do with anything else that's ever going to happen, ever. Well, if you chalk it up to say that this particular syndrome causes that thing in Kirk, it causes this dementia, and maybe it would cause that in other people, okay, we say it's specific to that experience. Right. Then, okay, then it, then it is not something inherent in Kirk, um, uh, although you go down a whole other path and say, well, it, it's genetics, and if Kirk is genetically predisposed for some kind of uh, dementia, Alzheimer's or otherwise, yeah, he's going to get it anyway. But See, in this case, we're saying no. Honestly, this topic, and mm-hmm. maybe we should talk about this some other time, and maybe I should edit this part out because I don't want people asking for it. This topic almost <laughs> begs for a supplemental because you do mm-hmm. have, you know, you again, and I know I joked about it earlier, but you have what happens to Picard at the end of um, All Good Things, and you have uh, Kirk struggling with his age, in um, mm-hmm. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah. I mean, this is this yeah, uh, this is worth visiting, and I don't want to. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's 50-something-year-old that's <laughs> 50, that's Kirk. Yeah. As opposed to what we're presented with in this episode, which Well, but, is, I mean, what's happening in this episode is happening over 48 hours. I mean, he might yeah. go insane because, I mean, young, strapping Kirk is getting old. 50-something-year-old Kirk... Is not going insane, but he's getting a little he's getting a little testy in sure. in Wrath of Khan because he is not young Kirk. Yeah. So I mean it's not even necessarily anything biological. It could just be, you know, yesterday I could run a marathon and today I'm having trouble getting from here to the couch. Yeah. And that might be enough to actually make him loopy. Right. I don't right. know. I don't know. Yeah. Let, 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 let's come back to this episode though. This episode in particular, I mean, so does that kind of thought, does that sort of like playground that that opens up now of what what does it mean for the Enterprise? Does that make this episode worth it? Does this episode hold up in your opinion? Um, well, not really. Okay. (laughs) Here's the thing. I I think that the, um, I think that this episode is fun. And I, I did enjoy watching it just because you, you get to see the characters outside of themselves a little bit and you get to see them extrapolate a little bit. Well, OK, what what I know as Kirk, what I know as McCoy, what I know as Spock, how would they be if this thing happened to them? How will they be 30 years from now, 60 years from now as they age? That part of it is fun in the same way that seeing mirror universe or split personality Kirk is fun. It's an exercise. Um, so I enjoyed it in that respect. Um, and the, the premise is an interesting one, just kind of forcing people to face mortality and age, because we always think about age as something that's happening later, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, they explore a little bit, Kirk's commandability, and they explore a little bit his relationship with Janet. But what I said earlier is then, well, what's the point? You know, what do the characters actually learn from this other than it sure is a lot better to be young than it is to be old? And if the characters aren't really learning anything from this, I ask, what do we learn from this? Now, you and I are really adding something to it here by saying, well, just taking Kirk by himself is he predisposed to have dementia? Is he not? 
what we saw in this episode, how does that tie in at all to the character of Kirk that we see later? I think that's interesting stuff that we get to add to it because now we have 50 years of hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, but on its own, I think I can only appreciate this episode as just kind of fun. But I don't think it's great. And I don't think it's really deep. Yeah, you know? I'm with you. I, I mean, I I think you actually... I don't know. I mean, it's okay. It could have been fun. I mean, the problem mm-hmm. is, as I said before, it, I only felt like one actor really nailed uh, getting older, and that was mm-hmm. uh, that was Nimoy. Um, yeah. Everybody yeah. else, it kind of felt like, I mean, you mentioned Mirror, Mirror. You mentioned The Naked Time. I, I miss those episodes. This makes me miss those episodes <laughs> because they got to they got to really, I mean, they got to act, and they got to act different or differently. And so, yeah. it, you know, it's fun to say, oh, well, neat, because now we're getting to see, you know, what they'd be like older. Except we're not, I mean, we're getting sort of cartoon old in this, yeah. you know. We're not yeah, examining, yeah. you know, I mean, there's a, what is that line? I can't remember what novel it's from, but um, I can't be dying because when I was a boy, I had a red rubber ball. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's mm-hmm. there's mortality, I mean, like in the face, like hitting all of them in the face in this episode, but but they don't address that. Yeah. So, I mean, there's 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 a wonderful box opened up, you know, here uh, with something really amazing to play with inside, and they're just playing with the box. Yeah. That's <laughs> basically what it comes yeah, down right. to me. It, it, right. it, and sadly, um, I would like for this episode to be more fun, but, I mean, it's fine. It doesn't offend me the way, mm-hmm. um, you know, the alternative factor offended you or Miri offended <laughs> me. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a terrible episode, but... Yeah. This is um, what are like five of the last six, I guess. Unfortunately, have mm-hmm. been fine. Mm-hmm. They've been okay. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not, and 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 sadly, it goes uh, it, for me anyway. It goes in that category. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, and that kind of brings us then to the question of, well, what, what are the messages, and do those messages hold up? And, and I think the the messages here are all missed opportunities. If we actually sat down to say, well. Are we asking ourselves, how do we treat older people when they start to lose their abilities? How do we do that respectfully and with dignity? And how do we as aging people deal with our own situation? Mm -hmm. Is Kirk going to be graceful? Is he going to fight it tooth and nail? And is one way or the other right or wrong? Um, and, and what do we have maybe to gain from older people? You know, these, these are all good questions that maybe were just inappropriate to try to answer in a 48-minute TV show in the 60s. Yeah. Uh, it, fortunately, fortunately, we get to flash forward nearly 30 years and see that 50-something-year-old Kurt dealing with his mortality and and dealing with consequences to his actions. Um but unfortunately, all that stuff is kind of outside of this episode, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So all these messages and do they hold up and do they not? Well, they do, but only in the context of what is to come. Yeah. Not yeah. really on its own. You yeah. Know? I would say there's interesting stuff to examine here if you are so inclined. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, it's 48 minutes and uh, next week we'll do something else. Speaking of which, next week we'll do something else. Join us as we put Obsession in the mission log. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory. 
free to download at kitheory.com. John and Ken and I would like to encourage you to not go gentle into that good night. We've got years of Star Trek ahead of us. You can sleep after that. And transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 